0: Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, guys, for leading in worship today. What a great day it is to be together. And I want to uh, also say welcome. So if it's your first time here, uh, thank you for coming and joining us today. Thank you for getting up an extra hour early. I mean, not really, but yes, kind of, sort of. I know people are traveling this weekend. I know some people didn't wake up on time. So you are the faithful. And uh, on the way out the door, we have free tickets to heaven. So thank you for being here today. Well done, thy good and faithful servants. Now, hey, we are glad you're here and, uh, and it is good to gather and uh, be in this place together. Um, as we've already said, we, are, we started a new series last week called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And this is is a baptism series. And one of the central core beliefs, I don't know how you want to say it, but one of the the, the things for us that we hang our hat on is this idea of baptism, that there is something powerful that happens between us and God, with us and God, in the waters of baptism. And so with this series, we've got two ideas in play that we want to sort of just lay out for you as we kind of walk through the next few weeks together. And one is simply... Uh, If you have never stepped into those waters, if you've never walked through the waters of baptism, I want you to know that we're praying for you, that the leaders of this church are praying for you, that I'm praying for you, that there are people sitting around you that are praying for you. Because on on Easter Sunday, on April 1st, we would love nothing more than to see you be baptized into Jesus Christ on, on, on Baptism Sunday. Uh, We chose that day because it's Easter Sunday and Easter Sunday is literally Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate on Easter. We we celebrate this every Sunday, but Easter Sunday especially, we celebrate the Christ who died, who was buried, rose from the grave. And what better day, in my mind at least, for you to step into those waters of baptism, to die, to be buried, and then to be resurrected to new life, uh, than on Easter Sunday on that day. So If that's something you're thinking about, we've got these cards. We've mentioned it. They're in the seats in front of you. Fill this out. It's real simple. It's your name. It's your email. It's a couple of boxes to check. If you want us to talk with you, pray with you, study with you, we would love to do that. If you already know you're ready, it's time to take the next step, do that. And you can give this to me. Give this to to one of our elders or one of our ministers. Put this in the baskets when they come around each week. Get it to us however you want to and let us know. We'll plan uh, that day to see you step into the water and baptized into Christ. Now, for the rest of us. For those of you who took that step once upon a time and and you're like, does this series have anything for me? I want you to know that it does. Because if you're anything like me, then you need to be reminded from time to time that you are called. You have a calling on your life to live the baptized life. That when you walk through the water, you can't walk through the water and not be changed. Something has to be changed. And what's changed is you. And it's our prayer that if, if at some point in your life you made that decision and you, you named Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, it's our prayer that this series would call you back to that moment and call you into living the baptized life every day. Every day. So today as we start, I want to, I want to begin with this quote. It's a pretty famous quote. You may have read this before. We'll get to it a little bit later in our time together. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, these powerful words. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now think about that for a moment. Do you agree or disagree? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When I was a kid, one of the things I loved um, was I had an aquarium in my room. I was telling my daughter Ella Grace this story last night, and she thought it was hilarious. We'll see what you think. Um, I had an aquarium in my room, and I loved nothing more than to to have these fish, you know, and to feed the fish and watch them grow and all that good stuff. And I hated cleaning the aquarium. That was the worst part. But everything else I loved. And uh, the worst part, though, of of having fish and having an aquarium, especially as a young kid, was whenever I would come home from school or whatever we were doing and walk into my room and, you know, flip on the little aquarium light and see it light up, only to find one of the fish that I had named— That I'd grown to love, that I'd cared for all these years, well, days, or, you know, maybe weeks, you know, belly up, you know? When fish die, they turn belly up and it would devastate me as a child. Like I would cry. You would think there was literally someone who had died. It was just a fish. But uh, for me, it was just devastating. And I would take the little net that came with the aquarium and I would dip that fish out and walk it into the bathroom and drop him into the toilet where he was buried in a watery grave and flushed away into a stinky, smelly death. It's terrible. One day this happened, and, and except this day, it was, it was like one of my favorite fish. You know, and you're not supposed to have favorites, but you do. And uh, this fish was my favorite, and I walked in, and sure enough, it was belly up. And man, the tears, the waterworks just started. I've got a tender heart. My wife laughs at me because I cry at Hallmark commercials. Um, and you're laughing at me too. And so I dipped it out like I always do, walk in the bathroom, you know, drop it in the toilet and that watery grave. And all of a sudden, this fish, who I promise you was dead, came back to life. (laughs) And my eyes grew large. I lost all sense of where I was. And I dove in that toilet with both hands trying to rescue that dumb fish. And would you believe it swam away from me? Like I was trying to rescue it. My tears had stopped. Now I'm in desperation mode trying to, to rescue this poor fish. And it swam. Instead of swimming up into the rescue, into the loving arms of its father... It swam down into the depths of this toilet. I don't know if it had watched Nemo and it thought that all drains lead to the ocean, but it wasn't true. And I knew this, but it wouldn't listen. And it died, I'm sure. A stinky, smelly death. Now, you know, that's funny and that happens and it's terrible and to, you know, an eight-year-old is is just life-changing. But the truth is, I think this happens to all of us, right? There's something about all of us that loves the darkness. There's something about all of us that for whatever reason, whenever whenever we, whenever we have the chance to choose life, so often we swim towards the darkness and we choose death. You know, from a, from a young age, this happens, right? When you're little and you don't know any better, if you did something that was wrong, if you break something, what do you do? What does your instinct tell you to do? Hide it. Cover it up. You know, don't let mom or dad or anyone know that you did it, right? This is what we do. There's something about us that loves the darkness, you know? And even as adults, we do this, don't we? I mean, I've done this. Like, we we made a choice. We chose to do something that we knew we should not have done. And in in, in our desperation and our hope not to be found out, we do the same thing. We hide it. We try to cover it up. We'll even go so far to blame someone else for doing that thing that we knew we did so that people wouldn't find out that we did it. There's something about us that loves the darkness. And I don't know what that is. But I know that it's true that over and over again, when we have a chance to choose light, to choose life, that there's something deep inside of us that over and over again chooses death, chooses darkness, chooses Chooses the wrong way. And that's why last week we talked about it. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and to listen online. We talked about how Israel, probably the defining moment in the life of Israel... Was when God had heard their cries. They had been slaves. They had lived in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. God heard their cries and God delivered them. And He literally delivered them through the Red Sea. And if you were here last week or if you remember the story, what happened was they God led them to the brink of the Red Sea. Of course, the, the Red Sea is a mighty rushing river. There's no way across it. So what does God do? He stops the river. He causes the wind to blow. And it literally dries the riverbed, dries the land where the water once ran. And Israel is now able to cross across the the, the bottom of the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, the Egyptians had changed their mind and now they're pressing in. Pharaoh is coming after him with all of their armies, with all of their horses, you know. And Israel sees the the enemy coming and they, they hurry across the river. And as soon as the last Israelite steps his toe out of the riverbed up onto the other side of the riverbank, what does God do? He lets his hand go and he allows the waters of the Red Sea to rush back in. And when that happens, it destroyed the Egyptian army. And when you and I read the story, what we think is the reason that God did that was to defeat the enemy. The reason that God allowed the Red Sea, the waters to flow again, was that so they would be defeated and Israel would be set free. But I think there was another reason. I think there was another reason that God let the water return. I think God wanted to make it impossible for Israel to go back to Egypt. Because God knew that even though he had delivered them from the darkness of Egypt, and he was going to bring them into the light of the promised land, even though God knew he had delivered them from death and had delivered them into certain life, God knew that at the first sign of resistance... That whenever Israel has chosen people, even though God had done a mighty work in front of their eyes, he knew that if they face adversity on the way to the promised land, they might be tempted to go back to Egypt. And do you know God was right? Whenever Israel faced adversity, they always cried out, Oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Really? Back where they were killing you? Back where they were literally killing your babies? You want to go back there? Really? Yeah, why? There's something about us that even those of us who have experienced God's saving work in our life, even those those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, even those of us who know what life is like on the other side of the river, whenever we face adversity, we want to go back to our old life. God knew. There's something about us that just loves to go back. It loves to go back to the darkness. And I think what's happened for a lot of us a lot of us who have stepped into these waters, who have made that confession, who have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. What happens for many of us, I know what happens for me, is that we look to Jesus and we look to the cross for forgiveness of sin. We want that. What we're resistant to is the change. What we're resistant to is the life transformation that Christ wants to. To do in our life. And so, what happens for you and me is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it literally gets dumbed down to what we would call or what Dallas Willard, a author and speaker, once called the gospel of sin management. And I want you to hear how he describes this because I think it's so true for a lot of us. He wrote these words Dallas Willard said, The gospel of sin management says you can have a faith in Christ that brings forgiveness while in every other act respect, your life is no different from that of others who have no faith in Christ at all. Wow. Think about that for a moment. If you're being honest with yourself today, is this the kind of Christianity that you're living and believing in? Are you leaning into a faith in Jesus that says, yes, I want you to Forgive my sin because I want to get into heaven, which again we know is a misunderstanding of heaven. But you don't really want the life change that comes with it. We look to the cross for mercy, but we don't look for the cross to change us. We look to the cross for grace, but we don't look to the cross to have its way with us. I think this... We're going to look at Romans six. If you have a Bible, if you can open that up or turn on your app, you can open up to Romans six. I think this is why Paul wrote these words we're going to look at today. If you know anything about Paul, at one time in his life, well, he would call himself the chief of all sinners. Like he literally was was trying to destroy the church. He persecuted the church. He was locking up Christians and imprisoning. Christians, even participating in the killing of Christians, killing of Christ's followers, killing of men and women who were followers of the way. He would call himself the chief of all sinners until one day when he literally met Jesus and he saw Jesus and Jesus spoke to him and he changed his life. And Paul knew that in that moment what Jesus did wasn't just forgive his sin, Paul was baptized, and in his baptism, he wasn't just forgiven of his sin. Something had to change. His life and the trajectory of his life had to be completely turned around and heading in a different direction. And I think that's why Paul knew this. That if you're believing in the cross, if you're believing in Christ, just so you can be forgiven of sin, just so you can go to heaven, you're missing the whole point. So Paul wrote these words in Romans 6. Let's read the first few together. He said, well, then what what should we say? Should we keep on sinning so that god can show us more and more of his wonderful grace i mean is this what it's all about christ died on the cross so now you can really sin as much as you want because christ is always going to forgive you and we even say this in this church and i mean it and we believe it there is nothing you could ever do to make god love you less does that give you license to do whatever you want paul would say in verse two of course not are you crazy of course not since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? In other words, when you were baptized, you joined Christ. And when you joined Christ in baptism, you di- something had to die. Something had to die in those waters. Something was dead and something was buried. And baptism isn't about you finding a way to fix your sin problem. It isn't about a way to to just receive the forgiveness of sins and to have those sins washed away. No, what happens in baptism is deeper, is wider, is bigger than that. It's not just about sin management. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates these verses. He, he he did his own translation of the bible called the message and and i want you to hear what eugene peterson said in romans 6 1 and 2 as he as he wrote these verses he he translated it this way he said if we've left the country where sin is sovereign how can we still live in our old house there that makes no sense or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good that is what happened in baptism when we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, and we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. I think I think Peterson is right. I think he's getting Paul's heart here right. That what happens in baptism is you're leaving an old country and you've relocated into a whole new place. We've left Egypt and we've made our way to the promised land. We've left uh, the the land of darkness and death and slavery and bondage to sin. And we've entered into, into the new promised land of God. This is what happens in baptism. And there's no going back. You can't cross back through those waters to the other side. You've already come through. And God has let his hand go and the waters have returned. There's no going back Not just because of that, but because something died. There was a death that happened because you joined Jesus in his death. We read those words at the beginning from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, 73 years ago, almost, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged because of his participation in a conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a preacher a theologian and a spy. I know what you're thinking. I am a preacher. I am not a spy. Not that cool. Um, But when he wrote those words, he wrote those words in a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And and I thought it would be helpful this morning to maybe read some of the words around those words to give you more context for what he meant when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Here's the words around those words from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to, and I want you to hear this, to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But in the same de- it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. This is the call of Christ. To come and die. In Bonhoeffer's words, to abandon the the attachments of this world. And I want you to think about that. What are the attachments of this world that maybe you're holding on to? What are the attachments of this world that you've been unable to let go of for whatever reason. You know, the biblical word death literally means separate or detach from. And so in baptism, what happens is, is we literally we die to something, we we are separated from something, we are detached from something. Paul Paul said, Since we have died to, since we have been separated from, detached from sin, how can we continue To live in it. If you've died to it, if you've been separated from it, if you've been detached to it, if you've moved into a whole new country, how can you continue to live in that old house? It's like some of you probably a few weeks ago made a New Year's resolution to exercise more, right? And you may or may not be keeping that still. It's March, so probably not. But in those early days you did and you got up early and you you put on those exercise clothes you bought, you know, the expensive ones so you would look good while doing this, right? And you went out for a run or you went to the gym to exercise or you went and you did a class and, you know, an hour later you're hot, you're sweaty, those clothes stink, you know, they reek. You, you, you take them off, you get in the shower, you get all washed up, you smell good finally again, your family wants to be around you again, you know, you finally washed off all of that sweat and smell and stench. But then what if you got out of the shower, and instead of putting on fresh new clothes, what if you instead put back on those sweaty, smelly exercise clothes? Even as I say that, some of you are like curling your nose, like, uh, like no, who would do that exactly? Who would do that? If you have died to something, if you have been separated from something, if you have been washed clean from something, why would you put back on those old clothes? Why would you go back to that old way of life? And then Paul says this in verse 4. He says, We have died. We have died. And we're buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, And get this, by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Can I get an amen? We are no longer slaves to sin. Something died Something was buried, and then something brand new was raised, was resurrected. Now, I hear people say sometimes, you know, baptism, you know, you're buried alive. No, you're not. You're not buried alive. Something died, something was buried, comma, and then you become alive. We are buried, comma, alive. That's what happens in baptism. Baptism. Something died, something was buried, and now something brand new is alive. And sometimes I'll hear people say, well, baptism, it's symbolic, you know? It's symbolic of, it's a public demonstration of something that's happening in your heart. No, it's not. Paul, nowhere in here says this is symbolic, that this is a metaphor. No, this is literal. This is what happens. You join Jesus in the waters of baptism in his death. Something dies, something is buried, and then something brand new is resurrected. And all of this happens— And this is the point I want you to hear today if you don't hear anything else. All of this happens by the, Paul says, by the glorious power of the Father. This is literally the work of God in your life. This is God. This is what God is doing. Not what you're doing. I've seen this hundreds of times over my, over my life because, you know, I, I work in church, so I see this a lot. People get baptized, and it never fails when someone comes up out of the water and they come out to greet everybody. Over and over again, people say this one word. Do you know what they say? Congratulations. And I've always thought that's the strangest thing to say to somebody after they got baptized. What did they do, you know? Nothing. We got to witness the work of God literally in their life, washing away their sin. They did nothing. You know, it'd be like uh, in a couple of months, both my daughters have birthdays coming up, right? It would be like if I, if I got them a present and, uh, and, and asked them to open it, and maybe it's a new Barbie, maybe it's a new American dollar, maybe it's something else they want. They're starting to smile and get excited. And uh, they open that present, and as soon as they open it, and they're like, ah, and I said, congratulations, that would be weird. <laughs> they didn't earn that present. They may not have even deserved it, but it was a gift of love, and they received it. No, what I would say is, man, I'm so glad you like it. I love you. And in the same way, when you step into the waters of baptism, when something dies and something is buried and you are raised to new life, I think what God says when he looks down on you is not congratulations. No, he says, I love you. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. And in the same way, we as the church... When someone steps out of the water, what we say, we echo the words of God. We love you. Welcome to the family of God. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. You will never, ever, ever walk alone. We will be with you. We will be beside you. And even if we do fail you, because the church will fail you, we are we are perfectly imperfect. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. Welcome. To the family of God. Because in in the waters of baptism, this is what happens. We get to witness and we get to experience the work of God in our lives. Baptism is not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And when you step into the waters of baptism, what you do is you get to experience and witness the power of God in your life. So what about you? What about you? This is the question, right? If for whatever reason you haven't taken this next step of faith in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to think about that. Would you be willing, would you be ready to lay down your old way of life and to walk through the water into the promised land, the new country of God? Would you be ready to to allow God to do a work in your heart, in your life that you cannot do on your own? Would you be willing, instead of Stepping towards the darkness to take a step into the light. Would you be willing to walk across the river and step onto the other side? Step into the life of Jesus. You know, we say it so often. We have these words printed on the wall behind you. As you walk out, you see them, that Jesus came, that you may have life and have it abundantly. And this is the life in Christ. Maybe you were told something else, but this is the life in Christ. God wants the best life for you. And what I mean by that is not some sort of prosperity deal that he's going to make all your dreams come true and give you that car you've always wanted. No, But he is going to give you the best life ever. Life in Christ is the best life ever. It is the good life. For those of you who have experienced the good life, can I get an amen? Life in Christ, this is the good life. To do life with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to be surrounded by the community of Jesus, and to to have the church by your side, this is the good life. This is life the way it was supposed to be. And if you've been living apart from this life, for whatever reason, you haven't stepped into this life, I want to tell you, you're missing out. You may think by stepping into the good life, you're going to start missing out. It's the other way around entirely. When you step into life with Jesus, you step into life the way it was always supposed to be. And for the rest of us, can I ask you this question? If at one time in your life you walked through those waters of baptism, did something die? If at one time in your life you walked across those waters of baptism, have you been tempted to walk back across the river? (laughs) And go back to your old life. If so, I want you to hear Christ's call. He's calling you back across those waters. He's calling you back into the good life. My, my sense is, is if that's happened for you, then you've figured out that life on the other side is not what you thought it would be. Life back in Egypt was never going to be good, even though you thought it might have been good, but it's not good. And he's calling you to come back. Come back to the other side. Of the river. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. What happens in baptism completely and totally is the work of God in your life. Paul also wrote these words to a church in Ephesus. He said, This, he said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. You can't do it. You didn't do it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward, so no one can congratulate you for it. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. You didn't achieve it. You just received it. So none of us can boast about it. Because we are God's, for we are God's, masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago god's desire for you god's desire for me is that we be buried and then that we be raised to new life this morning i'm going to ask our shepherds to make their way around the room with their wives and if you if we can help you in any way today If you need someone to pray with, someone to encourage you, someone to help you get back on the other side of the river, they would love to to just pray that prayer over you and ask God to help you with that. If you're thinking about being baptized here in a few weeks on on Baptism Sunday, take this card to them. They would love to, to take that and talk with you about that. And just so you know, if you can't wait, we can baptize you today. There's nothing special about April 1st. We set aside special Sundays for all kind of things. Why not this? But if today is the day, we would love nothing more than to stay a few more minutes and see you step into those waters. Because the call of Christ in all of our lives is that we would all walk through the water. That we would all be changed. We would all step into the good life. And we would all allow God, our Father, when our life, let's be honest, sometimes our life is in the toilet, right? God would love nothing more than to rescue us and to pull us out from the darkness and back into his glorious light. Let's sing.